I'm Norma Maite from Venezuela. And I am Elias Herrera from Venezuela. When we came in Plainfield, like us, like strangers, like aliens, the Christians are the same because we are living in the world and with a culture different, our Christian culture. And then we are living, sharing with the bad practices. And then we have to follow Jesus and Jesus culture, but we have to live with them, but we are not them. And then is I think live to strangers is like a Christian in the world. You can love your neighbor one day. Don't say hey or hi. It's not easy. But you have to pray for them because you have to love them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good morning, church. My name's Luke. I'm one of the ministers here at PCC, and I can't say it any better than Elias just did. We are continuing in our series through 1 Peter, and we're talking about how we're called to live here as strangers because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. If you're new with us today, we're honored that you would join us, and I'd ask that everybody go ahead and let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a storm coming. And I don't know when, but I do know how you can be safe when it hits. Now, I grew up in Southwest Missouri, and in Missouri, or as you Hoosiers affectionately like to call it, misery, In Missouri, we don't have like some cool, uplifting, trending nickname like a lot of the other states. You know, we're not the Sunshine State or the Empire State or the Golden State or the Mountain State or the Lone Star State or even the Natural State, right? I didn't grow up in the Big Apple or the Mile High City or Motown or Tinseltown or the Great Plains or the Great Lakes. No, I grew up in Tornado Alley. (laughs) Dun, 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 like the armpit of America, yeah. What a pleasant name, right? Tornado Alley. Sounds like where Mother Nature just kind of goes bowling to see how many farm towns she can knock down at once. And that's kind of the truth. When I was growing up, I can't tell you how many times I heard those tornado sirens go off and the stereotype about Tornado Alley is totally true. The sirens go off and it's like, hey, Ethel, newsman says there's a tornado headed down here about five miles away. Grab my lawn chair. And that's 100% true. I can't tell you how many times we heard those tornado sirens going off and we'd go out in the front yard and we'd just watch, watch the tornado do its mesmerizing little dance of destruction. Tornadoes are this terrifyingly beautiful thing. And so when the tornado sirens went off on May 22nd, 2011, I didn't think much of it. We'd heard those sirens countless times before, so we just kept doing what we always did and we didn't pay it much heed. But on that Sunday evening in Joplin, Missouri at 5.41 p.m. brought one of the deadliest and most powerful EF5 tornadoes in recorded history barreling down on my hometown. And when all was said and done in terms of dollars, it was the costliest tornado in U.S. history. 
And in terms of lives, over 1,000 people were injured and 161 people killed, some of them friends. And the thing is, we were warned. The sirens went off, but we paid no attention. But I can promise you now that when a siren goes off in Joplin, people listen. And so again, I'm here to tell you that there's a storm coming. And I don't know when, but I do know how you can be safe when it hits. One time, Jesus' followers asked him how they could know when this storm would come. When are you gonna come back, Jesus? When will that day happen? The day where we have to stand before the judge of all the earth and, and, and account for the way that we have lived? When will that day, that storm come, Jesus? And Jesus answered him in Matthew chapter 24. He said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. There's a storm coming. And I don't know when. But I do know how you can be safe when it hits. Peter tells us how right here in chapter three. Just for context, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks of our series, Peter is writing this letter of 1 Peter to some Christians who are trying to follow Jesus and they're suffering for it. They're this tiny minority in a big wide world that is suspicious of them. And so Peter is encouraging these Christians to hang tough. And specifically here in our text today, he's encouraging these Christians to stick it out, to keep the faith by reminding them of three things. Noah, Jesus and baptism. Let's dive into our text for the day. Chapter three, verses 17 through 22. Peter writes this. He says, for it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So I wanna spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about these three specific things, Noah, Jesus, and baptism. First, Peter starts talking about Noah. You might remember Noah, the guy with the ark and all the animals on it, right? Well, what's all that about? Well, way back in the beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible in Genesis, God creates the world. He makes the world and the world is good but it's not very long before humanity starts messing it up and people start abusing and cheating and lying and murdering other people and the world just becomes this despicable place. Nobody is following God. Nobody, that is, except one man, Noah. And so God decides he's just gonna wipe the board. He's gonna put all the pieces back in the box and start over. He's going to destroy his creation. Now, I have two little boys at home, and so we have a lot of children's books that we read and stuff, and it always strikes me as odd that our little children's books like to portray this story of Noah and the Ark as a happy little floating zoo where everybody's grinning from ear to ear, kind of like a prehistoric carnival cruise, right? 
I even know people who decorate their nursery and paint it with the Noah's Ark theme. Now that strikes me as a strange thing to do with the single most cataclysmic disaster in human history where all of mankind was annihilated and drowned because of their sin. <laughs> it's, like, it's like saying, hey honey, what, do you, what theme do you think we should paint the playroom? Maybe like Sodom and Gomorrah, 10 plagues, you know, like fire and brimstones, a little burning people over there. Kids will love it, right? No! <laughs> this story, the story of Noah and the ark, this is not a feel good story. And the warning of the story of Noah that Peter's giving us today is this. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And before God wipes out the world, he says to Noah, he says, Noah, these people are wicked. They're sinful. They've rebelled against me. And so I'm gonna put it into the earth. But I will save you, Noah, because you love me. So go build an ark. And, and God, he, he, he warns Noah here of the coming judgment. And then he tells Noah actually to warn everybody else too. So there's two things we need to hear about this warning today, that judgment is coming. And the first thing is this, it's a long-term warning. This is a long-term warning. Noah spends 120 years building this ark, telling people that judgment is coming. God tells Noah to build the ark and then he gives Noah the instructions for how to build the ark, kind of like a heavenly Ikea bookshelf, you know? Maybe that's why it took him 120 years to put it together. Have you ever tried to put together one of those things? <laughs> I don't think it's any coincidence that Ikea is a four-letter word. <laughs> I'm never more tempted to swear than when I'm trying to put together one of those prepackaged disasters, right? Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> For 120 years, Noah and his family are building this ark and all the while, God is giving people chance after chance to change their ways, to hop on board, to be saved. This is a long-term warning. Decade after decade, Noah's chopping down trees. People can hear the sounds of hammering and sawing over his backyard fence. I mean, imagine Noah's neighbors seeing this thing go up in his backyard. That would cause some discussions at the HOA meeting, don't you think? And every time people come by and they stop to gawk and they ask, man, what are you doing, Noah? He'd say, there's a storm coming. And I don't know when, but I do know how you can be safe when it hits. And they're thinking, okay, buddy, good luck with that. See you around. <laughs> and in fact, in the book of 2 Peter, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. In other words, Noah's job wasn't just to build the ark, it was also Noah's job to warn the world that judgment is coming. And here's the thing, our God is so, so patient. He warned the world for 120 years. Understand, he could have helped Noah make the ark faster, but he didn't because he's patient. He doesn't wanna destroy people. He doesn't want to judge them. He doesn't want to leave them stuck in their condemnation. He gives them chance after chance after chance to turn to him, to come and be saved. This is a long-term warning. And then imagine this, Noah and his family, they've been working for decades on this ark and finally they're just putting on the finishing touches, pounding in the last few nails when all of a sudden a couple frogs go hopping by at their feet. A couple butterflies flitter past couple snakes slither by. He should have stomped on one of them, amen? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Then he hears a mighty trumpet blast as these two elephants come crashing down through the woods and Noah's thinking, oh boy, here we go. And it must've been quite a job trying to get all these animals on board without them like killing each other, without them destroying the ark that the guy just spent a whole century trying to put together. Noah's thinking, honey, for the third time, can you please keep the monkeys out of the food? Does anybody know how to tell the difference between a male and a female mosquito? Where are all these rabbits coming from? We had two an hour ago. What's going on here? I just had my 600th birthday. I am too old for this. And yet, amazingly, somehow, I'm sure with God's help, they get all the animals on board. And Noah and his wife and their three sons and their three wives, they all hop on board like God said, and then God shuts the door. And that's the second thing we need to hear about this warning, the judgment is coming. Yeah, it's a long-term warning, but secondly, it's, it's a limited time warning. In other words, God is so, so, so patient. But he won't wait forever. Because eventually Noah and his family, they get on the ark and they shut the door and they wait. And it was dark. (laughs) Probably smelled like manure. (laughs) And then the rain starts. First, just a little pitter-patter and then eventually a deafening downpour and it rains and it rains and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, it rains. And you can imagine outside the ark, Noah's neighbors start to get the picture. Oh yeah, this is what that guy's been talking about for all these years. Come on, Ethel, let's go down and see if Noah let us on his big contraption down there. And you can imagine them running to the ark, water up to their knees. And you can imagine them pounding on the door as the water gets up to their chests. But it was too late. They had their chance, the time had come, the storm was here and they had chosen not to get on the boat. Can you imagine being inside the ark, listening as the rain pours and the people pound and scream as they drown? And Jesus says in that text that we just read in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, yeah, that's what it'll be like when I come back too. It'd be a normal day. People will be going out, having lunch, getting coffee. There'll be a bride-to-be somewhere getting ready for her wedding the next day, a young couple at the airport getting ready to take off for their honeymoon. And when I come back, it'll catch them all off guard. And by then, if they're not on the boat, it's gonna be too late. Church, listen, this is your warning. Judgment is coming. And it's a long-term warning Our God is so, so patient. He's been patient with you. He's given you chance after chance. He's given you another chance today. But it's also a limited time warning. So don't put it off because there's a storm coming. But of course, the great news is that Peter doesn't just stop by telling us about Noah. He then moves and he starts telling us about Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is always the salvation is here. Judgment is coming, but salvation is here. And this is good news for these suffering Christians that Peter is writing to because they've been trying to follow Jesus. They've been trying to do the right thing and they're suffering for it, just like Jesus did. Jesus lived a good life. He tried to obey God's will. He followed God and he lived a perfect life and they killed him for it. And Jesus's death, Peter tells us specifically in this death, in this text, that Jesus's death achieves two main things for us. The first thing is this. Jesus's suffering rescues the sinners. Jesus' suffering rescues the sinners. Look at the way Peter says it here. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, 
He was a substitute. He took your place. That was your cross that Jesus died on. The things that you have done to wreck your life and to rebel against your creator, to live the way you know you shouldn't be living. You have rebelled against God. You have cut yourself off from the life that God gives. You deserve to die. You were on death row. You were behind bars. You were heading for the electric chair. When all of a sudden, the perfect son of God came walking through those prison gates and he sat down and took the fatal shock on your behalf. He took the judgment that was coming to you, the judgment that you deserved so that you could walk free. And just how effective was that suffering? Peter says he suffered once for sins. One time. Do you understand how radical this is? The Jews, they had to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to try to cover their sins. The pagans had to try to appease God after God after God. They invented more gods, trying to find some way to get rid of their guilt, trying to find some way to make sure they were good. And you have tried to achieve peace and freedom and victory on your own time and time again, and you can't do it. But Jesus suffered once, one time, and it worked. The debt is paid, as he said from the cross, it is finished. It worked. And to what end? Peter tells us he did all that to bring you to God. Jesus' suffering rescues the sinners, and it's available to you today. Judgment is coming, but salvation is here, and it can be yours. And amazingly, Peter doesn't stop there. Jesus' suffering didn't just rescue the sinners. Jesus' suffering also defeats the enemy. That's what Peter tells us. The second thing, he says, Jesus' suffering defeats the enemy. Hear me, it looked like darkness had won when the lifeless corpse of the Son of God was dangling from those nails on that dark Friday afternoon. But deep below the surface, when it looked like sin and death had won the battle, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life had won the war. <laughs> Peter, says, Peter says it like this. He says, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, to put it lightly, this raises a lot of questions. Uh, what exactly is happening here? Where exactly did Jesus go? When did he do it? Who are these imprisoned spirits? What did Jesus tell them? It's often been said that this is the most difficult text in the New Testament, and Steve has given it to me to preach to you today. <laughs> Thank him for that when you see him, please. <laughs> Let me just start by telling you everything that I do know about this text. Now, moving on. <laughs> totally kidding. There's a lot of good theories going on about what might be happening here, a lot of solid explanations. The bottom line is, we don't know for sure, but we have some good ideas, and that's actually kind of outside the scope of our time together today, because regardless of the details, the main point of this text is clear. Jesus is victorious over all the spiritual enemies in the universe through his death and his resurrection. When Jesus died, it looked like apparent defeat, but it turned into indisputable victory. And he's the king on his throne and everybody else is subject to him. Jesus' suffering defeats the enemy. He won. Now, this would have been a great, a great encouragement to those, to those suffering believers that Peter's writing to because, I mean, by all appearances, it looked like they're the ones losing. It looked like the world was winning. But the real battle was already over. And I hope it's a great encouragement to you too today because I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what situations you're in in your life. But I know there's some of you in here who feel overwhelmed. You feel outnumbered. You might feel doomed and defeated. 
And if you do, I want you to remember that Jesus died in your place and Jesus defeated your ultimate enemy. The battle for your soul has been won. The cosmic war between good and evil wasn't even a fair fight. Jesus came out on top just like that. Judgment is coming, but salvation is here. Salvation is here. I have a dear friend named Josiah Javier who's in with us this weekend from Phoenix, Arizona, and he's gonna declare this truth to you in a really fresh and cool way after the sermon. Salvation is here. It's here. Now, these are two beautiful truths that Peter's given us. Judgment's coming, but salvation is here. And Peter ties these two truths together for us, the two truths from Noah and Jesus, by talking about baptism. That's kind of the thread that pulls it all together. He says it like this in verses 20 and 21. He says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. So what does Peter mean by this? Well, first of all, he doesn't mean that the water's magic. The water in those baptistries, it's just ordinary water, comes from an ordinary hose, nothing that special about it. It's kind of cold if I'm being totally honest with you. There's nothing that special about it. Water doesn't save you. If you get baptized, but you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you come out, you're just a soaked sinner. The magic's not in the water. The scripture makes it very clear over and over again that we are saved by grace through faith. God brings the grace. He's the one who showers us with grace. This salvation is a gift. It's always a gift. We never move on from grace. We never graduate from grace. We're always saved by grace. There's nothing that we can ever do to earn our salvation. We're saved by grace and we're saved through faith. We have faith that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for us, that he rose again. He's alive today and we need him to be our king. So God brings the grace, we bring the faith, and we meet at baptism. God says, hey, I wanna give it. We said, hey, I wanna receive it, and we meet at baptism. We are saved by grace through faith at baptism. This is the occasion where God does his amazing, incredible salvation work in us. Today's our baptism Sunday. We do these every so often here at the church. And we've been praying for weeks now that many of you will decide to give your lives to Jesus Christ, to embrace his salvation, and to be made new by putting your faith in him and by obeying him and being baptized. And listen, you got no excuses because we got a lot of towels back there, we got a lot of clothes, so don't tell me you didn't come ready today. We are ready for you. And I am praying that many of you will decide to give your lives today. We've had several in the last service, we're having several more in this, in this service, and we got a room for a whole lot more. We got two baptistries. We've been praying for this, we're ready for God to answer in a big way. So if you're ready to be saved, if you're ready to surrender, then come on, come now. Earlier in his life, uh, Peter, the guy who's writing this letter, he preached a sermon. And he, he, the, the audience he's preaching to is actually the same people that killed Jesus just about a month earlier. Now, y'all can be intimidating for me sometimes, but even you're not that bad, okay? And Peter's preaching to these people who killed Jesus, and he says, he says, hey, you're wicked. You killed Jesus. And then God made him king, like of the whole universe. Uh-oh, and when the people hear that, they respond. Acts chapter two, verses 37 and 38 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Man, we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would cut some of you to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your story is, Maybe you've known God for a long time. You've been walking with him, trying to love him and follow him for, for all your life, but you've never actually been baptized. Come do it today. 
Maybe, maybe you were sprinkled, maybe you were baptized as a child and you're coming to understand the fullness of what the Bible teaches. No shame on the way you grew up, but you're understanding that this is an act of obedience you need to do in your walk with Jesus. If that's you, come now. Maybe this is all brand new to you and it's kind of confusing and you don't understand it all and you, you, you don't know all the big words and you'd have trouble at, answering the questions, but all you know is you've messed up your life, you're a sinner, you need Jesus to rescue you and you're ready to start living his way. If that's you, come now, come we're gonna have people up here after the sermon. We got Kyle Nelson, our discipleship minister, Riley Weaver, our impact minister. They'd love to talk with you. We can do this today. Come be baptized. Come be made new. So let's talk for a second. What exactly is baptism? Well, scripture uses a lot of different images to describe baptism. The Bible describes baptism actually as kind of a combination, a weird little meshing. It's like a funeral and a birthday party all rolled in one. Baptism's like a funeral because when you go down under that water, you are dying with Christ. Your old sinful self is being crucified. You are dead. It's your funeral. And then when you come up out of that water, you are being raised with Christ to new life. You are born again. Your new spiritual self is new. And this is your birthday party. And we got cupcakes in the hub to prove it today. <laughs> so it's your funeral and it's your birthday party. And, and, and the Bible also describes this as, as a gift. That when Jesus dies on the cross, he offers salvation to everybody as a present. It's a gift. He offers it to everybody, but not everybody chooses to take it. But baptism is you saying, yeah, I, I want to receive the gift. You're opening the gift. And when you open the gift of salvation in baptism, you find three things, or excuse me, four things, can't count, in that gift. First thing you find is this. It's a bar of soap. You get washed clean. Listen, you've messed up your life just like I have. There's things you're, you're guilty for and ashamed of in your past, but you get washed clean. You get a clean slate. I need a clean slate every day, don't you? And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he died for your sins, he paid for it. You're washed clean in his blood and baptism. You are made new. You get your sins washed away. I need that. Whoop. Second thing you find when you get baptized is you find a family picture because you get adopted into the family of God. You don't have to be scared of God. You can call him father. You can come to him anytime. He's always there. You get adopted into the family of God. You're a child of God. We're gonna sing it later in a few minutes. That also means you get all of us weirdos as your, as your big crazy family or your brothers and sisters. <laughs> You're in God's family. The next thing you find when you get baptized is you get a battery because God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power to be like Jesus in a way that you don't have right now. He gives you the power to live for God. God himself living in you, that's amazing. And the last thing you find when you get baptized is you find a ticket, a ticket to heaven. So that someday when you die, you can die with confidence knowing that you're going home to be with Jesus. That's what you find. It's an amazing gift. It's all grace. It's all grace. So, Judgment is coming, but salvation is here and it can be yours today. So consider yourself warned. The author of Hebrews says it like this, verses 27 and 28 in chapter nine, he says, just as people are destined to die once, you're gonna die, I'm gonna die, don't know when, there's a storm coming, don't know when. He says, and after that to face judgment, we're all gonna account for the way that we live, but I'm not scared of it because I'm in Jesus. He said, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When you're in Jesus Christ, judgment's coming, but you don't have to be scared. It's gonna be a great day when we get to be home. So judgment's coming, but salvation's here and it can be yours today. And look, I, I get following Jesus and specifically being baptized is an intimidating thing. It's easier to put off. It's easier to just say, maybe later. But think about it. 
probably wasn't easy for Noah to get up day after day, year after year to work on that ark when it was a cloudless, sunny sky. It looked like life would just keep on going forever as normal and he's out here preparing for some judgment day and his neighbors are walking by saying, what are you doing, man? And people might look at you like that. We're living here as strangers. But Noah knew that there was a storm coming and he didn't know when, but he knew how to be safe when it hit. And, and here's the other thing, like some people who walked by and saw Noah building the ark and talked to him and heard his message, a judgment was coming, they might've even believed him. They might say, yeah, Noah, man, that sounds good. That's probably a real good idea to build an ark just in case, be safe. I mean, it's a, it's a nice looking boat. I bet it would float. I'd, I'd even like to ride on it sometime. Just not today. If that's you, don't put it off. Because baptism is not just you saying, yeah, I like the idea of Jesus. No, baptism is you saying, yeah, I think this boat will float. And in fact, I think this boat is my only hope, so I'm gonna go ahead and hop on in so I can be ready when the storm comes. That way when the waters come, they'll bring destruction on the world, but they will raise you up and you will be lifted and saved and brought to new life. And in the same way, Noah and his family took refuge from the waters of God's judgment by, by finding safety in the ark, you too, can find refuge from the storm of God's judgment by finding safety in Jesus Christ on the cross so that someday when the waters come, you're good, you're safe, you're fine. So don't put it off. Come be baptized, hop on the boat. I did on October 28th, 2001, and it's still the best decision I ever made. We're gonna take a couple minutes now and I just wanna be silent. We're just gonna be quiet. And I want you to listen for the still small voice. Just be silent for the Lord. There might be something he's asking you to do. God, I'm standing here today as a man who deserves nothing but your judgment. That's who we are, God. We've rebelled against you and we deserve your wrath. We, we know we deserve death. That's what we've chosen. And yet we're so thankful, Jesus, that you have given us life by taking the death that we deserved and you have brought us salvation. I'm grateful. Thank you, Father, for your son, for his death and his resurrection, for his victory that we get to partake in. And so I'm praying today, God, that if there's any in this room who need that, who need to come and surrender to you and find the life that only you can give, bring them, Lord. And Jesus, we, we praise you so much that we really, really believe that in this moment, right now, you are here. It's in your powerful name we pray, amen.